Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 64, where we are interviewing Dan and Dawn. Stay tuned as we talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right, so Dan and Don, who are you? Ooh, good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, the short version of that, Don and I have been in a polyamorous relationship for the past 20 years. Uh, it just so happens that my first polyamorous relationship was with Don, and her first polyamorous relationship was with me, and mm-hmm. we haven't gone anywhere yet. Uh, we've had and do have multiple other partners currently. We have multiple long-term relationships. Some of those relationships are not so long-term. We've also got long-distance relationships, so and some that are close by, and some that are getting ready to turn into long-distance. So new skills going to be learned there. Beyond that, I think one of the challenges that you're going to have interviewing us today is that we also have a podcast, the Erotic Awakening Podcast. And I find that whenever podcasters talk to each other, nobody shuts the hell up. So I apologize already, but that's just the way it's going to go. Feel free to jump in. So yeah, so we've got the Erotic Awakening Podcast. We've got books. We've got, oh, we present around the country. We've been on a Zoom um, uh, thing all weekend. Yeah, Zoom binge. So teaching and stuff like that because we're missing people. And so we do all kinds of stuff to educate people and to share our story pretty much because we've been doing this for 20 years and feel that we've got some tools to share. Well, that's fantastic. I think we find that when we have people who like to talk as much as we like to talk, the whole episode goes more entertainingly and is more fun. So (laughs) wonderful. Please don't shut the hell up. (laughs) So how do each of you identify? So I identify he, him are the pronouns that I use. I identify as heteroflexible. The only reason I don't have a relationship with a male-bodied person is I don't know one that I find attractive currently. Uh, Other than that... I don't know. It always depends which community you're in as to how you self-identify. So I identify she, her... I guess I'm going to go with pansexual right now, but I could also go omnisexual. I think it's omni because that means you like things that are not human, as in tentacles, robots, aliens. So, <laughs> I could well, there's right. another line I'm of not, questioning right, that they're writing right. down now. So I'm, I'm not. I, I'm not. Uh, I go more by people's energy than <laughs> their gender. From what a polyamory, in there, yeah. From polyamory. a polyamory perspective, we kind of avoid the labeling. Yeah. There's, you know, the kitchen table poly and hierarchical poly and non-hierarchical poly, blah, blah, blah. I have both Dawn and I have multiple relationships. I have hierarchical power exchange based polyamory relationships. I have peer based relationships. And, and along the way, one or two that simply defines labels. Uh, and, you know, we could get into this whole thing about the, the problem of definitions and how it can create constructs that end up blocking things more than it does to create open things. But that's down the road. That's that is down the road, though. I used to like those constructs and over time because I, I like structure and I, and I like to know what the hell's going on and give things labels. And I've learned over time that labels help me have a language and try to figure out who I am. But I've kind of started dropping them off over time. Cool. Awesome. Uh, so what does polyamory mean to you? Multiple loving relationships. That's usually how we just 
quickly define it, right? Because some people say, well, I have a best friend that I'm intimate with. I'm like, well, are you romantic? And they're All like, right. no. And I'm going to say, I'm going <laughs> to keep Dawn's great, wonderful definition, except for she added, she did not add the word ethical. Oh, Multiple that's true. Ethical, loving relationships. Simple yep. as that. I'll agree with that. All right. So what drew you to polyamory? Oh, vanilla relationships, uh, <laughs> uh, monogamous relationships that did not work. So, um, and truly, if I go into my long story, which I won't go into the long story, but um, back in high school, I had a boyfriend. Now, I'm, I'm from backwater, backwater country. So Polly and all this type of stuff that I'm aware of wasn't even thought of. But regardless, high school boyfriend, we lived in different counties, went to different high schools. He started dating someone else. I didn't have a problem with it. My friends told me I should have a problem with it, that I was being a doormat. Therefore, they convinced me I should be jealous. I got jealous, screwed up the relationship, married a monogamous guy. It didn't work. So, <laughs> and uh, found Dan, had been friends with Dan for a while, and we got talking, and we're like, hey, let's create this new relationship and try this new thing. I think it's who I am. And the neat thing for Dawn and I is when we started our relationship, although we didn't have the vernacular, the terminology of polyamory at that point, we did have this understanding that we were not going to be a standard monogamous couple, that we were going to be open. Um, see, I think when we started, we thought, I thought, Maybe we both thought that we were just going to be open sexually. So we started to explore the land of kink and swinging. And we found out that we just were rotten swingers. We didn't, we were just no good at it. We talked too much and moved too slow. Yes. <laughs> Nor was it that interesting to us. True. So we, as part of those communities, though, we did come across a group um, called Poly Columbus. We're out of Columbus, Ohio. And we said, well, maybe let's check that out. And then we said, ah, this is what we've been looking for, right? I want that. I want to be in a situation where if I find someone attractive who's not Dawn, that that's not a sin. That's not a problem. That's not something that we're going to have a fight about. It's simply, I find someone attractive. And if there's an opportunity for me to explore that, that I have a partner who's supportive of that and, and vice versa as well. And Fortunately for us, and at the time, Poly Columbus was all of five people, but they at least gave us some of the understanding and some of the words and some of the terminology to let us start exploring that aspect. And what things do you find difficult, if any, uh, with polyamory? None, none whatsoever. <laughs> we have this book no, <laughs> called the <laughs> Polyamory Toolkit, and it's literally because you're going from um, the white picket fence version that I was raised with what I was supposed to be looking for to something that's more open. And so my friends at the time were monogamous. And anytime I had a jealousy problem and I went to my monogamous friends, they're like, of course you have a problem. Your husband's dating someone else. I didn't have good support until I created that good support, right? And found the right people to talk to. So yeah, there's been problems of jealousy. There's more people equals exponential problems until you get some things figured out. And even after I've got some things figured out, there's still things that come up because every day is different. Yeah, Dawn and I like to talk about there's our polyamory. We have this, uh, there we talk about the enlightened polyamory, right? Which is kind of a tongue in cheek sort of way of saying when everything's great and we're both dating somebody that we care about and we both like the person that the other person's dating 
And there's no conflicts. We have this view of polyamory. It's very hippie. It's very, it's beautiful. Aww. The world is love and all Utopia. this kind of stuff, right? But the reality is a lot of what we deal with in polyamory world starts with us. For example, for myself, as a male-bodied American, I was taught by other male-bodied Americans for ever since from puberty on that my uh, penis is really darned important. And if Dawn found another penis she liked better than mine, that that's going to be a big issue and that, that I've got a big problem there and there's something wrong with me. So having those constructs now in the poly enlightened land, I look at that and laugh, but the reality is that's something those tapes have been trained into me from, you know, from a bunch of other men, from media, from all over the place. And every time Dawn comes back from a date and she's walking bow-legged because of the huge penis. That only happened once. As much as I'd like to believe I'm poly-enlightened, I've still got those old tapes that want to hop up and say, uh-oh, looks like she's getting ready to leave you. You better go sign up for some tantra classes, learn some new tricks, right? Um, so for me, that's the problem that comes to my mind is you, you constantly, this awareness now, time goes by. We've been doing this for 20 years. Those old tapes pretty much never play anymore. But you have to be vigilant for me, right? You have to be aware. And you have to be willing to trust your partner, your different partners enough to say, the thing that you did, I am feeling a way about this thing. And I would like you as my friend, as my partner, to help me with it. Versus what I've been taught is, you did this thing that made me feel bad, so stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had to learn early on that stop doing it was not the fix. So that was because we would get to a point, stop doing it, start over again, get to a point, oh, uncomfortable, stop doing it, start over again, because that's who we are, feel uncomfortable, you know, so we really had to get to the point of we're not stopping doing this anymore. Let's push through and see how we can help each other. So when did you know that you were poly? Yep. So mine like I said, I knew I was different in high school with the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in my vanilla marriage, I wanted to do more to spice things up. And again, we thought it was sexual and the ex-husband was not on board at all. And then Dan, my best friend at the time, I've known him since high school, this Dan, <laughs> we started talking about different things and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, why can't you love more? You know, we have experience of loving more than one person and then getting in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we, we ended up, it took us a while to find the verbiage for it. You know, that wasn't polyamorous, wasn't a word that was used. I, I think actually the first time I heard it was when we attended a meeting of call, which is Church of All Worlds, which was run by Oberon Zell. And they were very much about polyamorous relationships because he was polyamorous hell he's in his 80s now i Mm -hmm. think so he was one of the elders or whatever you want to call it of the movement if that's what you want to call it and yeah yeah Yeah. for myself yeah i I didn't know i was polyamorous until i attended that first poly poly meeting i just knew something was that i was lousy at monogamy um and it didn't feel right it didn't fit And our next question is kind of along those lines, and you may have already answered that, but when did you start feeling different from other people? Uh, As far back as I can remember. Yeah. (laughs) You know, in different ways, not just loving more than one person, but in a lot of different ways. So I've always felt like an alien on this planet. Yeah, I've got got this weird thing where at, not 
again, I'm not trying to make this longest story. I'll give you the very short version of this. At 14, I, wasn't, I didn't have a lot of friends and I started using drugs and then I had friends. So about 10 years later, uh, realized I was a, recognized that I was a junkie at this point and I had to take some steps about that. And I've been clean 30 years since then. But from 14 on, I've not been like other people and you get used to it, I guess. It's like, yeah, just, just one of those guys, one of those strange people. So it's kind of funny because sometimes we'll try to talk about things and I'll say, you know what? English is not my first language. Yes. I don't know what the hell is. <laughs> English. Right. Because so, there's just no words for some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where would you say you are in your poly journey? You know, ever. I'm going to go ahead. You sure? Okay. Yes, you got, I got no, something. Because I, I was going to say ever-changing. I'm hoping it's the same thing that we're about to say versus something completely different. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere in our poly uh, journey. But go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say ever-changing. So because as soon as I think it's, remember, I like structure and I like stability. It's not. So um, as soon as I think it's, quote, stable and in, you know, whatever, something changes. So right now, the boyfriend of seven years, him and his wife are selling the house, getting an RV and roaming the country for a year. And I'm not going to be able to see them because they don't know where the hell they're going to be. So, you know, he and I have to figure out how to take something that was slightly long distance, 90 minutes away to something that's countrywide long distance with various ways to communicate. We'll have to figure that out. So, um, you know, COVID hit. I was just starting to date other people and then COVID hit. So pandemic kind of keeps me from uh, stepping forward the way I want to. And yeah, so ever changing and surprises. (laughs) See, I was, man, we might get in trouble. I'm going to jump in, but also mature because you and I have figured out a lot of tools. I was going to say my polyamory, (laughs) the way I perceive polyamory currently is cruise control. We have been through different enough challenges over these past 20 years that uh, the new stuff that comes up now, the new challenges, I always look at them with a little bit of eh, whatever, because it it just feels like we've gotten to, we've gotten to the point of, it used to be polyamory was a challenge and I would do polyamory based on trust because I think it's going to work. Now it's a matter of faith. I have done enough of this crap that the things and we have, uh, you know, Dawn and I are in our uh, upper uh, lower 50s. Lower. F- <laughs> lower. We're in our 50s at this point, right? So we have had polyamorous partners that have died. Mm, we have lost recently. houses. We have lost pets, jobs. Uh, I've had partners have all kinds of interesting, fun situations. I've broke up with people. I've dated people that are the exact opposite of Dawn, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's okay, right? We've picked up enough tools along the way that now it's like, ah, and, and, you know, so that I, I, you know, just not say it's that it's easy. Well, you know what? Fuck it. it is. Oh, sorry. Can I say that on your podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Fuck, it's easy at this point. I'm going to say that even though the times some situations are not easy, some situations require because these are very highly charged emotional relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's part of me that knows it's OK. I know who I am. I know who you are. It's OK. You know, even if things don't work out that's okay too. See, and, and Dan just made me very nervous 
Because whenever he says, oh, we're on cruise control, <laughs> I picture a second book needing to come out on uh, tools because the universe is going to go, oh, you think you're in cruise control, huh? Here, here's a new issue. Yeah, Deal yeah. with this one. Oh, things are yeah. easy. Huh? Well, that's knock, knock on wood somewhere. Right? <laughs> on wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, do you have any like hopes and goals for your poly journey? Where do you hope to go? Um, I don't know. I think... I kind of, man, I'm so, I've turned so much into an in the moment person that it's kind of hard to think about the future. But in reality, I kind of hope we stay on cruise control for a while. So there's a message to the universe. I would like to stay on cruise control for a while, um, knowing that there's going to be surprises. So I guess equanimity is what I'm trying to say, mm. is to not to think, to, to not feel too high or too low about a situation to stay even keel. So, you know, I've had a lot of highs and a lot of lows and, and I'm okay with staying pretty middle of the road, but I like excitement too. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any future plans. So you're more in the moment than I am. Yeah. Our, <laughs> there's some logistical stuff that I want to knock out being able to take somebody on a date in public, right? That'll be fun again to do that. <laughs> um, Traveling to visit some people will be nice. There's a lot of COVID-related things, but not really from a polyamory perspective. We're very much a, oh, this is interesting. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. So why would you say that you are poly? I guess I'm greedy. Uh, <laughs> you know. I like you, Dan. <laughs> I love, love that answer. The opposite of that is why are you in so invested in the limitations that you've built, right? And I'm not saying anything about people that are not polyamorous. I don't care one way or the other, but like I was alluding to earlier, right? If, if, and I see you've got, is that a, a Christmas tree in the background of your picture there? For uh, I, do, I have greenery up from Christmas. Yeah. Okay. Just from the, I don't, I've known you for about 20 seconds, but from <laughs> what I see, I'm vaguely interested and I'm going to find out where you live and I'm going to start flirting with you. Right. <laughs> polyamory is cool to me because I don't want to have Dawn look at me sideline when I say, Hey, I'm really into that host. And mm -hmm. she, you know, I want her to say, cool. Cause I got shit to do. So get out of the house for a while. Okay. Or for her to say, damn, I got designs on her too. You got to get out of the way. You can't be <laughs> cock blocking me, man. That's cold. Or whatever it is. Right. To look into that. And I apologize if this makes you uncomfortable. No, I, that's totally fine. I don't people hit on Lindsay. So it's a sort of a nice. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, so this idea of I, I tell you a great example of why what are the big light bulb moments for me of why this was a, a reasonable and it just kind of a made sense lifestyle choice. And I, two quick ones real quick. One, I remember very early in my relationship with Dawn, I was riding down the road and she was next to me. And I noticed a somebody that I found super attractive. And I found myself staring at this person that I found super attractive. And what my, my brain said, dude, don't let Dawn catch you because that's what I was raised with. And when I looked at Dawn to see if she caught me, she was checking out the same person. <laughs> so that was that first light bulb. The second light bulb was... Um, I dated a woman and we actually lived with a woman for a number of years who was nearly the opposite of Dawn with from a sexuality perspective and all kinds of different aspects. They're very much the opposite of Dawn. That was a joy to say, I don't have to just because I love chicken dinner doesn't mean I always have to eat chicken dinner. Sometimes I can have fish dinners. Sometimes I can try being vegetarian for a while. And although that was a little bit challenging, you know, that was one of the challenges 
for Don simply because if you really like this person who's the opposite of me, you probably don't like me. Um, that was hard. Yeah. But that, that's why we do polyamory. So, and um, well, one of the things I was going to throw in there, though, is that how do I know I'm polyamory? How do I know I'm polyamorous? It's because I know I'm not monogamous. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my 14-year uh, monogamous marriage, I ended up cheating on my husband at the end because I fell in, uh, I don't know that I fell in love with the other person, but there was feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, I did not want to be in that sort of relationship again where I couldn't act on those impulses or at least talk about those impulses or share about them without the other person totally losing their mind. So, and then to find out after the divorce that he had also cheated on me, I'm like, what the hell? I would much rather have a relationship that's designed to where if that's going to be normal, then let's make it normal. So, and be able to talk about it and design something that's healthy instead of, I mean, how many people do you talk to about Polly that are like, oh my God, how can you do that thing? But if you talk about cheating, it's like, oh yeah, you know, cheating seems to be a little more acceptable than ethical multiple relationships. And I wanted, I needed ethics in it. I needed to make sure I wasn't hiding things. I didn't want to feel like someone else was hiding things. Even though cheating can happen in polyamory, I've had it done to me. It's not pleasant. It makes no sense. But <laughs> that's how I know I'm poly. Uh, and our last question we usually ask is, why did you agree to be interviewed? Because for the first year of this podcast, I was constantly messaging people. We both were. who were like, hey, could you be on the podcast? Could you be on the podcast? But you guys actually messaged me. So uh, <laughs> I guess what I should ask is, uh, why did you ask to be on the podcast? Oh, is this where we get to pitch our book? Yeah, absolutely. If you'd like oh, to. <laughs> yeah. So we'll talk about it more, I think, in the second half. Yeah. Oh, well, um, one of the reasons I think really the, the primary reason, no bullshit, we reached out to you guys is we've written a new book about polyamorous dating and we wanted to share that with people. Right. And um, we're a big fan. I mean, Don and I have a podcast. We've been around for a little while at this point. We're big fans of the idea of um, when the water rises, all ships rise with mm-hmm. it. Right. And we feel the same way about podcasts. It's not like people are going to listen to your podcast and then say, oh, I'll never listen to another podcast again. Right. It, right. It'd be particularly dumb because it's the polyamory podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think the, you know, so it just seemed like a great way to get a hold of people that might be interested in it. Absolutely. And, you know, this year we're reaching out to um, podcasts that we enjoy. And this year we don't have the opportunity to go to events and talk. So we are kind of getting more on the board with Zoom and podcast and things like that, simply because, I mean, we feel like we have something to share. Why go through all this stuff if we're not sharing the stories? So the experiences, it, it seems to help people in general. And that's kind of like a life goal of ours. So what's the name of the book and where can people find it? Well, it depends which book. So the one that we do have out is uh, the Polyamory Toolkit. So that's the first one. And then the one that we just re- uh, uh, released is the Polyamory Dating Guide. So that one is in print and probably a couple of more weeks, we will actually have it out and available. So it'll be on our website and it'll be out on Amazon. Very cool. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick short break and we'll be right back. Okay. Polyamory Uncensored is excited to announce a brand new product. We have designed a planner and journal specifically geared for polyamorous individuals. 
If you're a fan of the podcast, you know that I love recommending journaling to our guests and audience members. After about the 50th time or so I caught myself suggesting it, I thought to myself, there should be a journal specifically designed for us polyamorous folks. One that includes a planner, because of course we be planning, and one that prompts us to go deep into our poly lives. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly, the just plain complicated truths. <laughs> and I wanted to put together a space where you could go if you needed to vent out all of those really hard polydrama feelings. So I designed the Polyamory Uncensored Planner and Journal. This little book includes a full year planner for the year 2021, as well as self-discovery pages, guided journal with polyamory themed prompts and resource guide pages so that you can keep track of the books and podcasts and websites that you find helpful in your poly journey. Get yours today for yourself or the thoughtful polyamorist in your life at tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. That's tinyurl.com slash poly 2021. In doing so, you support me and this podcast. Thank you so much. I love you. Bye. All right. We are back with Dan and Dawn. And I guess I just wanted to ask first off a little bit about your books. Um, So when did the Polyamory Toolkit come out? Last year, I think. Oh, let me grab it. So um, (laughs) let me see. Did we put Two uh, years ago. Yeah. 2019. Yes. So Cool. And what's that all about? So when Don and I got started, as we mentioned, uh, at least in our neck of the woods, there weren't a lot of people talking about polyamory using the language and such. And we went in, we went to a, an event in Indiana, a polyamory event. Um, and we went to a class called, uh, doesn't matter what it was called, but it was about, you know, what about oh, jealousy, yeah. right? I was like, where are you going? Okay, I remember this. And the class was about jealousy. And it was about, doesn't jealousy suck? And we were like, oh, yes, yes, it does suck. And isn't jealousy hard? And yes, 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 it is hard. And here's a definition of jealousy. And here's jealousy throughout history. And they made some acknowledgement about King Henry VIII, which I still don't know why they bothered with that. Because, But what they <laughs> did was say, here's how to deal with jealousy when it rears, Right. They did do one positive thing, which was say jealousy isn't a sin. Even for polyamorous people, you're allowed to be jealous. Don't beat yourself up for that. But they didn't really provide any tools for what we could do about that jealousy. So we walked out of that workshop going, yeah, jealousy sucks. I knew that when I walked in. (laughs) So So we started to actually start thinking. And that's just kind of the way that that we think in general is if there's a situation, if there's a problem, what is, how do you resolve that? What is a tool you could use to do that? We ended up developing a class called eight poly tools. And we presented with that for a while and people would say, Oh, I love your, this tool of uh, managing expectations and draft emails and this and that, but what about this? And what about that? And we're like, Whoa, that's a great tool. So that we ended up with uh, eight poly tools and then eight more poly tools. And eventually we said, you know, we should just start writing this stuff down. And, and that's where the book came from. And it came, ends up with 25 different tools for a variety of different people that you can apply to different polyamorous relationship issues, challenges, et cetera, right? Plus a bunch of stories in there because we, we love stories. So we, we love, put stories in there definitely storytellers. Well. So, and um, some of the tools are from, that we use from the very beginning, And then some we've just recently found in the last couple of years. So, you know, tools that I really wish I had thought about or known about at the beginning, it would have made life so much simpler. 
So I want to get those out to people because there's a lot of people starting at the beginning. And to know about the stuff that we didn't figure out until 16 years in, I mean, that's just going to be so beneficial. And to have that many tools, not everyone is going to work for every person, but there there's so many different things in there that something will speak to someone. Yeah. There's like, for example, one of Dawn's favorite tools is the compersion journal. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big fan. It doesn't particularly work well for me. But that's okay because there's 24 other tools that I can look at and say, you know what? I don't like compersion journals so much, but I sure like this or I sure like that. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, could you give us an example or two of what kinds of tools these are so that people kind of get a sense of if they want to get the book, what, what they would be getting? So um, Dan mentioned the compersion journal and what that is, is it's a, it's like a joy journal and it is literally a physical journal. And um because I was looking back on all my old journals. We were moving again. I found my box full of them. I was reading them. And I'm like, oh my God, what a crazy person. Why am I doing polyamory if I am always in angst? You know? And um, I, I, of course, I'm not looking at the dates on them. The dates are not every single day, right? You only tend to journal when it's something you have to work through in your head. And what I decided to do was I'm going to start focusing on compersion, um, and joy and the good things of polyamory. I bought me a pink book because I couldn't find purple. And every time something in our poly life brought me joy, I wrote about it. And what ended up happening was my focus started being on joy instead of the issues. It kind of like changes your, your energetic perspective of what you're looking at. And that really, really helped me. And to this day, I still look for the pieces of joy that, that work out. That was an early on one because uh, with my spiritual background, I do a lot of writing to see what works. Mm -hmm. And so writing is, is very powerful for me. And that one really helped. And, and the way Dawn explained it is pretty much like how the, the, the entire tool book is written. We introduce a tool. We introduce why you might find it useful. We give you real life situations from Dawn and I, how we use this tool or why this tool came up or why we needed this tool and then why it's important. So just going through the tools a little bit and not or experience it differently, breaking habitual patterns, uncomfortable versus wrong. Don't take things personally. That was a Big fun one. one. <laughs> Managing surprises, manual mode, work from a place of assistance, fair versus equal, et cetera, et cetera. Porch times, another one. And just all these different aspects of things that we've applied to in, throughout our journey that have just got us to the point now where it's cruise control. Nice. And so what is your new book, uh, Polyamory Dating Guide, about? <laughs> How do you laugh at that? <laughs> it, was, it was actually kind of fun because as I wrote the book, as we wrote the book, we did a little research because Dan and I are very much writers that write about our experience. That's why we share so many stories. We don't write about theory. We don't write about what people think. We don't write about I don't know, research that may have been done or whatever. It's, it's our personal stories. And um, so while doing the research on different applications, we actually went out there and did the applications and the online dating and the stuff like that. So it, it, was, it was kind of fun. Part of it for me is that I am, my biggest limitation on uh, dating is time. It's time management is the calendar is and, and now, of course, it's, it's COVID, but it's time. Right. And I kept getting on, I'm on a variety of poly boards and Facebook groups and and constantly people are like, oh, I can't find anybody to date. And and my and the one that really pushed me into let we got to write a book is I kept seeing uh, male bodied people posting. Well, nobody will date me because I'm a guy. Girls have it so easy. 
And me and Don right. looked at each other. We're like, you know, who are these people? Because that- I'm a girl and I don't have it easy. Dan has it easy, but it's his personality and his view on life and his, you know, he really does draw people toward him, which is why time is his big, you know, thing. And for me, it's just so hard because I, I, I guess I'm just weird. And it's hard to draw the right people. So, you know, but we were, we were hearing that, you know, I can't find people because I'm a geek. I can't find people because I'm an introvert. I can't find people because I'm over 40. I can't find people because, you know, all these things. And we're like, you know, that and add to that, I'm hearing all my girlfriends go, oh my God, another guy just sent me a, you know what I mean, pick. <laughs> Showing their favorite feature. Um, you know, I just got another one of those picks or someone else going, didn't they read my profile? Or, you know, this guy's profile was empty. Why does he think I'm going to write on back? What kind of picture? You know, and I'm hearing all these complaints from women wanting to find people, but, and not just women, you know, there's guys thrown in there too, but it's mainly my girlfriends. And, and I'm like, man, we got to give people some hints on what other people are looking for, how to put their best foot forward, because there's people out there looking and right now it's mostly online. So even though we talk about in person as well, and, and let's give them some clues. And we didn't want, please tell me that you told people not to put dead animal pictures in their um, image profiles. Isn't it fun that you have to say that? Isn't it fun that, that, you, that you have to point things like that out? I feel like that might be a Midwestern thing, though. We're, we're all from the Midwest. Hunting is a big culture. Is that a uh, thing in other fair. states? I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe people will tell us. But I'm like, do they have this problem in New York? I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't know. And, and the fun thing is, it's, it, it's not a book that's taken from the attitude of, you guys suck at dating. Here's how to not suck. It is... Right more of an attitude of here's some things that you can try. Here's some things that have worked really well for me. Um, I, I, like I said earlier, right. When I was, when I was younger, I couldn't get dates at all. Now I can't schedule. I don't have my schedules, not big enough for them all. What's the difference? What happened to Dan? Mm -hmm. And we look at that and we look at Dawn who, um, I, I don't want to portray her as a slut, but she is (laughs) sexually available. (laughs) And happy to and fun and enjoyable here, I think. (laughs) Um, And she can't get a date for nothing. And what is the difference there? What is it that people are? Is it something that we're putting forward or is it something other people are putting forward or is it some middle ground? So how do you write that profile? It's so much fun when you go out to there to any of the Facebook groups or the Reddit groups, the dating groups and say, you know, I can't just if I went out there and post. Hey, I'm Dan. I'm in Ohio looking for somebody to do some stuff with. Hit me up, yo. I am one of a hundred posts that get posted like that. And I might be a great guy and just not good at communicating what it is. You know, when someone says I'm open for anything, they don't realize that the flip side of that is I don't really know what the hell I want. And I have left you no way to engage with me, right? That's, yeah, that's the other step that we talk about. So, you know, one of them is, is that um, there's a lot of great people out there. And like I said before, so let's help you put your best foot forward so people can discover you. Mm -hmm. And then you just said something and I totally lost my train of thought. About you being a slut? No, we went past that. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) How have I been doing with you for 20 years? I don't know. (laughs) Because I know you. Anyway, so finding out looking at yourself, having that ability to look at yourself and put that best foot forward and say, 
you know, here's a profile that might be of interest to you. Along the way, right, we also went through and found a lot of polyamory sites, dating sites that I really didn't know were out there. Everybody knows about OkCupid and, um, you know, the common sites, but there's four, five, six different polyamory focused dating sites as well that we took a look at. That was fun. That there's hardly anybody on. So because people don't know about them or they're spread so thin because there's so many, you know, so... Yeah. So we covered a lot of that. Yeah. So we talk about how to meet in real life because that's going to happen again, how to meet people in uh, online. Um, And we took a, uh, one of the differences we did with this book that we've never done before is we've always said we write from experience and that's legitimate, right? I personally, that's, that's, we're not going to debate it. It's the way we are. I'm not going to write a theoretical paper about how to date people. I'm going to tell you this is the experience that I have. But one of the things we recognized is that the experience of a white hetero 55-year-old Dan doesn't necessarily translate to everybody. So we reached out to some friends of ours that were of a diverse background and diverse nature. What's it like for a person who identifies as a black woman to date? What's it like as a gay furry to date? What's it like as a queer mistress to date? We reached out to these friends and I, I want to be clear because I think it's important. We didn't ask them to do us a favor. We paid them to p- contribute to our book mm-hmm. And we have their contributions in there as well. I think a lot of what we share can be applied to anybody, but I also want, if you have a specific diverse background, that maybe you'll hear your voice as well. Mm-hmm. And that, that really added to the book. So, um, and then I also just wanted to mention that I, I, I mentioned about um, how it's tough to date over 40 and how it's tough to date mm-hmm. as an introvert and things like that. I did write things about that. So because dating over 40 is its own thing, right? Our dating pool actually gets smaller. And it's it's for various reasons, which I write about. And, you know, we as as older people may be going through body image issues as as things change and stuff like that. So I talk about that. Um, we have a workshop called uh, being a poly introvert, I think. And um, I forget what it's titled, but I ended up writing a chapter about that, too, because introverts do have (laughs) their own challenges. And I, you know, I write to extroverts saying, give us a chance. This is how we're a little different. Um, You don't really see us in media because we're quiet. So it's usually extroverted people that you see in the media and how to, you know, be with them. So let me tell you how introverts are a little different. And this is how you can get beyond it. Introverts. You don't usually like to be on the telephone. Here are some other clues that, you know, some other tools that you can use to to stay in touch with people. Yeah, we're, we're as guilty as anybody of saying, um, hey, I don't know how to meet people. Oh, you got to head. You got to go out. You got to go to that poly meetup that the group. Time. You got to go to this event. You got to go to that event. If you want to meet people, you got to go out. And we're sitting here thinking, well, we're the most introverted people. <laughs> we are pretty introverted ourselves. Would we take that advice? Ah, so we talk about that some as well. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, Don, that you make a really good point about the challenges of dating over 40. I'm about the same age as you are. And um, I've had zero luck on online dating. But meeting people in real life has been great for me because when you're actually physically present with people, you see them and experience them in a different way than just on the internet. And I, I think that's a real challenge. And it is a challenge that is not equally distributed across genders. Yeah, mm. I, I agree with that too. And all the partners that I have, I have met in person. 
And I think one of the things that we talk about is um, appropriate. Is that the word we use? Appropriate, appropriate confidence. confidence. Yep. Because um, we, we both have the belief that confidence is sexy. Confidence online can also come across as arrogance. arrogance. And I think I scare people sometimes. As I get older, I give less I, I, I don't <laughs> less bullshit I give, is what I, there I give so okay. many more fucks now. Like something happened somewhere <laughs> around mid forties where it was yes. like, Oh, I give a shit like 20% of what I ever gave a shit before. Right. And that can be scary for other people. Oh, Oh, she speaks her mind. <laughs> she has thoughts and that, that confidence I think can come across as scary to people. At least that's what I've been told. But in person, you say those things with a smile. You have opening energy, you have welcoming energy, and it comes across so very different. So yeah, everybody, I, all my partners I've met in person. So not saying online does not work because obviously it does. But yeah, and I'm a dirty millennial and all of my partners I met <laughs> online. <laughs> but that's how, you know, that's how it works. So mm -hmm. some tools work better for, for other individuals. Yeah, absolutely, sure. absolutely. I also always like to tell people who, who talk about um, like dating issues that patience is averse to you because there have been a roller coaster of levels of my partner having four partners and me having zero, me having five partners and him having one or something like that, you know, like, and so like, it really, it really fluctuates. And if you think going into polyamory the first week, you're going to get a long-term committed partner. You're just not like it, it takes a while. <laughs> it does take a while. And, and it's not going to if you're a, in a existing relationship, an existing nesting partner, an existing marriage, the chances of the two of you finding somebody in the same week are pretty much zero. That is true. And you bring up a point, something we forgot to mention that we do discuss in this book that a lot of books don't is dating as a couple. Yeah, right? there's a lot of um, thoughts about dating as a couple and obvious terms of unicorn hunting and that kind of thing comes up. And regardless of that, one of the most common questions we see on poly groups is me and my significant other are looking for our forever third. How do we find them? Mm -hmm. And what I see is sometimes people respond by saying, uh, hey, shithead, you are effing unicorn hunter and i want to kill you and you should die. <laughs> get well, off my group okay maybe they're not that <laughs> aggressive but they certainly have, are i've seen many groups where it says if that is what you're going to say you're not allowed on this group go away what we decided to do was and, and we we say look there are some challenges there are some bad people and bad things that happen as a result of unicorn hunting let's educate people yeah. so that if you've decided i'm going to date as a couple well how here do you how do you do that ethically? And and we can talk about that because we did that for the first eight years, right? So we did date as a couple, and and we could still date as a couple. I mean, we date individually now, but that doesn't rule out us dating as a couple again if we find the right person. And there are ways to. There's ethical aspects to take a look at. There's mm -hmm. you know there's get out of the fantasy and what does this really look like. Um, so we try to present it from both. They here's the harsh reality of it. Don't be. There's a reason people. There's a reason that unicorn hunters have such a bad rap. Don't be those people. The flip side is, we know we have a number of friends that are have, that have gone. <laughs> yeah, that are unicorn that have gone from a, being yeah. a couple, finding a third, and now they're a trio. 
and it couldn't have been no, and everybody's happy right? and, and we have the friends that are the unicorns that are like i'm looking for a couple but all these groups have banned couples looking for what i'm looking for so how do i find them so you know there's so many views of how people do these things and we yeah. just want to help people get together yeah <laughs> and how to do it ethically and how to do it yeah. um as compassionately as possible that sounds really useful yeah, for sure. I tell you, I'll be honest with you. This is the area where I'm just uh, gearing up for the backlash, right? And we'll see how it goes, right? Maybe people will take time to actually listen to what we're saying. <laughs> I've noticed that in America lately, it doesn't take much before the social media storm kind of jumps on your ass. I tried to invite some friends out to play a card game called Trump the other day, and it just, they were not impressed. They were just so mad at me. Stop. I don't understand. Stop. Oh, it's not even called that, is it? It's a, it's a play in spades, right? Yeah, we trump like somebody. Yeah. We'll just edit that part out. Oh, wait, it's not our podcast. Damn it, I can't edit this. Have you guys published any other books? I feel like you had a couple, right? What other books have you have you written? The only other one that uh, we've written a book about power exchange some years ago, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the other one that we've just written, which we debated about, well, as we we're writing the dating guide, it's like, you know what, we better put something about flirting out there as well. And the flirting book we just did is this little 30-page uh, flirting book, yeah. for alternative people, right? Mm, that's some cool. Of the, one of the areas that Dawn and I run around with, I might well be asked to tie you up and spank you prior to learning your name. That's a different <laughs> kind of flirting than the kind that when you go to a bar and can I buy you a drink? Yeah. <laughs> but Flirting is that language of getting to know each other and beginning that interact, beginning that energetic exchange, right? That in itself, uh, it can be a lot of fun, but it's also, we could teach you how to date all day long. You've got the best profile in the world and you're now you're making contact and you, you know, the person goes, wow, I loved your profile. I really like that picture of that dead moose in the background too. I'm so into it. <laughs> and you're like, oh, cool. How are you? <laughs> you know so having that ability to so the flirt the little flirting guide is just something we put together we put it out there on our website it's a freebie for people that support our podcast just go get it uh it's just something that we think is it was fun for us to work on and like, and, like i i do want the uh disclaimer though that it that it is written that one is written more for kinksters so you know if, if you flow that way it will help everybody just know the language. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Leans more towards, you know, kinksters. <laughs> All right. And what's the website where people can find it? Erotic Awakening. That's where our books, where our podcast, where we are. Our, our presentation. Presentation. Blah, blah, blah. Anything we produce is there. So eroticawakening.com. And what kind of classes do you teach? We've been very fortunate over the past 16, 17 years of traveling around. Uh, I'm going to say we travel internationally. That just means we get to go to Canada once in a while. It's um, <laughs> clear when you say it that way. Yeah. Yeah, we're U.S.-based for podcast listeners that are not in the U.S. Um, we've been very fortunate that our presenting started because we, went, we were invited to present at a place ancient exchanges of nature oh, where they so were, it was, it was very much a spiritual retreat of some sort. And there was a class on, um, for, um, Community. grandmaster yeah. <laughs> Flambolio is now going to talk about teaching you how to speak with trees. After that, Dan and Don are teaching 
uh, Spanking 101. <laughs> That's where we got started. Yep. And we, we cover a lot of stuff. I mean, we're very, uh, I don't even know what word to use. We're, we're into Yeah, esoteric. We're into a lot of things. So yeah. we teach on power exchange. We teach on kink a little bit. More on the mindfulness involved in kink rather than skills. Um, and we, a lot of polyamory classes. A lot of as polyamory. Well. And um, what I was going to do in Canada this year is that we do stuff on sacred sexuality. So I was actually going to be running uh, uh, vulva circles. So I don't call them women's circles anymore. You know, they're vulva circles. And it was all about um, uh, getting in touch with self through self touch. And um, so that was going to be fun. And so we do, yeah, a lot of different. My male body stuff. brain transcribes that into a bunch of women sitting around masturbating. And although well. that is legitimately <laughs> what is going on, but it is much now that I've um, you've witnessed one, I've witnessed one. And then Dawn has circles where outside participants can't witness. They can't participate, but they can sit there and bear witness to understand that it's just much more than it's that. absolutely much more than that. I've done them in Chicago and here in Columbus. And, and yeah, so, you know, that, that's just part of our thing. And because it's part of our path, we share about it. So power exchange, kink, poly, sacred sexuality. sacred sexuality. I feel like I'm missing something, but I'm not sure what it is. A lot of it's really just about self-acceptance and digging yourself and being whatever you want to be. Oh, we also teach on, at um, some leadership conferences. We teach on how to be podcasters, how to be presenters, how to be fun presenters. And so we do some of that level of things, too. I would think that this flirting thing would make a great class, too, actually. Oh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you heard now? Have you heard the rule that podcast hosts should not date other podcast hosts? <laughs> I have not heard that rule. Good. good. <laughs> oh, you're in the United States. <laughs> the book's better than that. That was kind of lame, but but that's. <laughs> oh, you. Wasn't you too bad, huh? You're hilarious with yourself. <laughs> I, I amuse myself. You are quite right. And do you guys actually help run a conference? I feel like we I heard that. Yep. We for uh, seven years or so we ran a, a conference called Beyond the Love. Mm -hmm. We were also running another conference at the same time, and we were also running a community space here in Columbus. Um, the, com the community space didn't make it. We had it for five years and then COVID hit. So it was kind of hard to keep a live meet in person community space and, um, and to keep that running. So but prior to that, uh, the last, we ended up retiring from running beyond the, the, beyond the love. One of my polyamory partners of 12 years was running that conference with us. Uh, we, and I hate the, I don't want to use the term broke up because that implies something incorrect you to people, your but we've shifted our relationships that sh uh, she had different focuses and priorities and wanted to live somewhere else. And that it was very, uh, it was a very positive situation, uh, which is really a great thing about polyamory. You can change relationships and outside uh, outsiders might say, Oh, you, you broke up. No, we've changed the relationship. Anyway, at that point that we, she was one of our co-directors of that event. I was kind of getting burnt out on running everything. We something had to go. We turned that over to some uh, some some of our staff. Some of our staff. So they they ran it last year, and of course now due to everything the pandemic, it's sleeping. So mm -hmm. and then we had the other the the other event that we ran. We ran that for like eight or nine years. So we did one like every six months. And then we were trying to create, uh, what was it called? Hearts and Collars. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was going to be our new passion. So and that's uh, a power exchange in Poly. 
right? So we know a lot of people in the power exchange community that are also poly and, and vice versa. So we were going to combine it and do it at the our community center that we ran and COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid pandemic. Yes. So that kind of messed up a lot of things. That's really cool. Well, Cause yeah, I was listening to some episodes of your guys's podcast and, and I heard about beyond the love and I had heard about that from Facebook friends of mine who live oh, in, in Ohio. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa, that's like, I think that's a big conference. That's really fucking cool. <laughs> we had gotten up, what was the last one? Like 600 people? Yeah, uh, not quite 600, not quite. but we had gotten to the point where the hotel, the hotel was starting to say, well, you could just take over the whole place, right? We're like, oh boy, that's, <laughs> and, and I tell you, it, it was really a wonderful experience to have the, the fastest growing conference, fastest growing polyamory conference um, over the, in the, that, in that decade. The trip, the flip side of that is I think that kind of led me to burning out because it, you become less and less a participant, more and more of a director of the events. And I we, Don and I figured, should have figured this out early. You, you invite all these presenters that you really like. Oh yeah. I would pick the classes that was just like, Oh, I want to see this. I want to see this. And um, I was just telling Dan yesterday, I want to go to Sarah's um, archetype class that I had at BTL four years ago. I need to find her doing it somewhere else because I never got a chance to see it. Because you're too darn busy. I got mm-hmm. my clipboard I'm running around and yeah. So, so many and classes. Side note for you, for, for you guys or any of your listeners out there, if you've decided you want to do, you want to put together a polyamory convention, I don't want to run another one. I'm retired, but I would love to help you get yours going and give you the mm-hmm. inside scoop. And that's just because I think it is really great for the kink community that, or the poly community. No, for the kink community okay. during non COVID times, every weekend of the year, you can go somewhere and to, to have a kinky experience. That's true. In the polyamory circles, you've got about six weekends, maybe eight where there's conferences throughout the entire year. Uh, I think there's been nothing wrong with that number being higher and um, I, I would get to meet more people, which would be as an know. attendee. We'd get to meet people. That exactly. would be cool because I don't get to meet people. I mean, I get to meet people with the clipboard in my hand, but it's usually, oh, you have a question. Follow me because right. I'm on my way somewhere. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really awesome, honestly. And I've thought about it years past and and my work. So I work at a place called The Tool Shed, which is a feminist sex toy store. There's probably something comparable in Columbus, though I am not positive. And so we had a very small sex education conference where we invited a lot of local uh, healthcare practitioners to talk to. Here are two trans folks ask them questions because you guys aren't doing it right. <laughs> you know, like here are people with disabilities and they have yeah. they have sex. Let's ask them questions, you know. And so, uh, and then we also had a bunch of educators like Joan Price, Reed Mahalko. Gosh, we had uh, Sophia Chase from Chicago's Dominatrix. We had a bunch of people come in and do free classes as kind of a conference all in one week. Very cool. Uh, and that was amazing. And it was a ton of fucking work. And I mean, and this was like an entire staff of people helping out. And I still was like, this is incredibly overwhelming, but, but it did kind of jumpstart my idea. I do kind of want to do that one day though. Like this is really, <laughs> really cool, really fun, but Holy Christ, that's a lot of work. And <laughs> Lindsay and the tool shed also offer a lot of like one-off classes or oh, weekend yeah. classes too, that, you know, I can certainly imagine being put together into a conference. Oh, at, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. But, yeah. One day, <laughs> one, one day. day. And, and it's the after times. 
Yes. We say we're retired, but I can guarantee you almost (laughs) that at some time in the future, we may think about it again because we had a fantastic staff. We had like 12 people on our staff and everybody had their own piece and everybody was responsible for their own piece, which they enjoyed. And um, yeah, that was the only way we pulled it off. So yeah, absolutely get your staff. Don't just invite friends because friends want to help. Make sure you have staff that has experience with what they do. And that way you can just let them do their thing. That makes a lot awesome. of sense. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Do you have any more questions, Katie? I don't have any specific questions, but is there anything else that you want us to know about your book or your podcast? Yeah, or- I would promote, please. Where can people find you? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's that's very gracious of you. We appreciate it. Again, we're the website's Erotic Awakening. We have the Twitter account. We have the Facebook. We have Instagram, all that stuff. All that stuff. You can head over to Erotic Awakening. You'll find links to all that stuff. Our newest fun thing, and as we talked about before the show started, my excuse to spend more on tech is we're starting to do some YouTube videos. Oh. Uh, we're doing some live. We do the po- podcast live on YouTube on occasion, as well as doing some other videos. All that's linked out of Erotic Awakening, I reckon. Yeah, we've got um, some Zoom. So once a month, we're trying to do a chat with our Patreon supporters. We have one of those today on um, building dating profiles. And then we try to do a Zoom workshop. And I forget what the title of the next one is, which is open to anybody. And then we have the live podcast once a month. And, and we're just really getting more into that. So, and like I said, if people are on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, we're either erotic awakening or Dan and Dawn. Awesome. Yeah. And I've, like I said, I've listened to a couple uh, episodes. I didn't realize you had 12 years worth. It was like, I I listened to the most recent one and it was like 500 something. And I was like, does that actually 500 or is that, does that seem in season five? And I was like really confused. And I was like, oh my God, this is there are 500 episodes. That's crazy. That's so much stuff. So yeah, that's really cool that you have so much content out there and, and it's very kink and poly friendly. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we cover the gamut. Well, that's well thank you. It's been a really fun episode. Thank you guys so much for reaching out and talking with us about all this fun stuff. That Absolutely. Our pleasure. It's been a lot of fun mm-hmm. for us as well. Awesome. Well, good luck on your guys' class. I know you're going off for getting ready for that pretty soon. <laughs> right. And good luck with the book. Yes. Thanks thank very you. much. We will share all of the links. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. All right. Terrific. Have Bye. a good one. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.